I am I'm still somewhat reeling from our uh, from our time of worship. I'll be honest with you. to be able to pause and think about God and God's goodness. I love sanctuaries and cathedrals. And uh, it's just something very, very special that happens when we all come together and we honor our king. It took everything in me not to run to this altar and kneel when Stephen started singing holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. I mean this, and then he started singing this song, for the Lord our God is holy. How can you not how can you not dream and imagine what Isaiah was going through in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah? How, how can you not? How can you not just you know God God wired us a particular way. Uh, he's given us the ability to reason and think. Um, uh, Amy put it so well. Um, We've, we've got a brain to think and to reason. He's given us emotions to feel. He's given us these physical limbs and organs and muscles, ligaments and bones to move. But there's this one part that he's given us and sometimes we... We put it on the back burner, and that's the imagination. It's the imagination. He, uh, he had his greatest conversation with Abraham, asking Abraham to use his imagination. He says, lay down and look up in the sky, and I want you to imagine that the stars are your offspring. And so when I come into a time of worship and songs inspire, that's why the apostle said, sing to yourselves. Songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody into your heart to the Lord. That, that's really what sort of set, um, that's what set David apart from Saul was that David was able to use his imagination and worship to the Lord. God called him a man after his own heart. Didn't call him perfect. And we know that David wasn't perfect. In fact, even when, when Saul would sort of lose it, you know, there were some times when he had, you know, he, had, he was sort of bipolar. <laughs> you know, one time he's like, oh, you're great. I love you, David. And then another time he's like, kill him. He's after me, you know. And whenever he would get a little weirded out, David would just play songs of worship. And it had to engage his imagination. And the Bible says it calmed Saul right down. 
And so I'm over here sitting with Paul, Pastor Paul, and, and Steve starts singing. And the worship team, who by the way, you know, I really, really just want to take a, take a moment just to honor the worship team, all four of them that were up there this morning. Will you put your hands together and love on the worship team for their sacrifice and singing songs that brings us into this place? I felt like, I felt like Isaiah. He says, as I was in the presence of God and the seraphim and the cherubim, and there they were covering their feet, covering their eyes, you know, and, and flying and just saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of, it, full of his glory. Isaiah got to the place where he says, man, it wrecked me. I was undone. And I started experiencing some of that just up on the front row. He gets to this part of worship and he starts singing for the Lord, our God, is holy. And holy Jesus came here. Holy Jesus came here. And I, um, I want to caution you in this season Not to get caught up in Christmas being a holiday. Let Christmas be a holiday. I mean, we got a few days that, because of the glory of the events, our world has to acknowledge what happened. But please, let us not let culture dictate how we move during this particular season. You gotta be careful with that. Paul put it this way. He says, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. In fact, they were singing this morning. I saw the song. I saw the words in this particular song. I don't remember what song it was, but it said, citizens of heaven. Can I ask you a question? Who in here is a citizen of heaven? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's all you got. All right, so let me, let me help you. <laughs> let, me, let me help you. So when somebody identifies you, and if it really resonates, there's, there's, this, there's this song by this guy that I love. I've been listening to him since I was a little boy. His name is uh, uh, Larno Harris. And he wrote this song years ago. This had to have been back in the early 80s. He says, um, the, 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 the title of the song is, Much Too High a Price. And it talked about all the sacrifice that Jesus did. In fact, the beginning of the song says, you know, your love endured the cross, despising all the shame. You know, that, that, that afternoon when midnight fell, your suffering cleared my name. You know, and then he goes on and he gets to the course and it says, you, you deserve much too high a price just to have my soul stirred at times but not really changed. He says, you deserve a fiery love 
that won't ignore your sacrifice because you paid much too high a price. So anytime anybody asks me, hey, I, look, I'm on elevators. I was on an elevator. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm trying to identify, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? I read a book, uh, a uh, it was a, a novel series by a gay, guy named, uh, a couple guys, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. They, they wrote this book, this, um, this fiction novel, really had to do with, you know, the Bible, End Times. It was called, um, good Lord, that thing went right out of my head. Left Behind. Come on. Left Behind. Left Behind. And there's a part in the novel where the only way you could identify if there was a Christian was because they had a mark, and not everybody could see it. I get around some Christians, and uh, Pam and I were downtown. She's saddened that she couldn't be here this morning. But uh, we were downtown uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, got in the elevator, and I saw this lady in the elevator, and I said, you're a Christian? And she said, yes. I'm on this thing in Philadelphia. It's called Bless Philly 714. It's an initiative to get people to pray, Christians to pray 714 in the morning, 714 in the evening. It's according to 2 Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal Philly. <laughs> you see what I did there? I'll heal Philly. I feel the same way for Burlington. I feel the same way for Delaware. I mean, it's just what he said he would do. It's the perfect prescription. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the elevator, and I'm just going to get the car. Pam's waiting over at the place where I just got finished teaching. And I'm going to get the car, and I get in the elevator, and this lady comes in the elevator. And I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, great. We started this new initiative called Blissville. So from, you're talking about a quick elevator pitch, man. I mean, from the first floor to the garage. But it ought to be like that when we say, are you a Christian? We want to get to the place where when somebody says, are you a Christian? We ought to freak out and yell and scream and stand up and say, yes, I am. Because here's the deal. There's going to come a time where we are all in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says there's going to be a number that no man can number. And we're all going to come. I think Steve was singing about it this morning in the worship team. And we're going to lay down our crowns and we're going to bow before him. And we're going to sing, man. We're going to sing loud. We're going to worship loud. Why wait until then? You don't have to wait until then. So see, I'm helping you out. I'm helping you out. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you where we are. There's a friend of mine from Niger Nigeria. His name is Nadi Moses. And when he, he said one time when he came, was, I was a young pastor. It was back in 1998, 99. And I invited this guy over. And then he'd come for the 2000s and early 2000s. And he, every time he came, he says, I want you to tell you how to worship God. He says, we're about to worship him. And when you worship him, you do not put your hands in your pockets. You do not fold your arms. You do not look around. 
But with your voice and your energy, you rise and give him everything you can give him for the Lord is good. So I want to ask you again, and we need to freak out now. We need to freak out. We need to freak out. In fact, the Bible says provoke one another to love and good works. That's one of the best things that we have when we come to High Street Worship on a Sunday morning. After we've had a difficult week of flowing in and out of culture, this is the day we get around other Christians and we get to inspire one another to praise God. So, who in here is a born-again Christian? Oh, we getting there, we getting there, we getting there. All right. So you can tell my, my, uh, my love language is words and touch and encouragement and energy. That's, that's where I'm at. Hopefully I get a chance to hug and touch you guys after our time together today. Bow your heads just for a moment. Father, thank you for the words that that Julie spoke over all of us this morning. Words that, that spoke of the Christ Mass, the celebration of our Christ. Words that pointed us towards Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension. Words that spoke of the Holy Spirit coming and filling us. Father, may we, may we remember what it's all about. And may we move to bring your kingdom here. Your will and perspective here on earth. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, um, let's do a little bit of, of teaching. Um, I, I like to teach, but I like to teach with engagement, meaning um, write some of this down because the Holy Spirit's going to give you more later. This is really just a tease. This is, this is to get you going on what heaven may be saying and what heaven may be revealing. And so I want to read passages of scripture and the title of today's teaching is Preparing for Kingdom Expansion. Preparing for Kingdom Expansion. And that's really what this season is about. If you look at it properly, you'll identify it as, as an ongoing season of celebration. It's got different parts. And personally, this particular season, Christmas, as I was praying, I'll share with you, I see it as the Christ Mass. It is the celebration of the Messiah coming. It's the, it's the answer that God had to man's fallen state. 
And immediately after Adam blew it, God's plan was in operation. In fact, he said, there is one coming and his heel is going to bruise your head. Now I will jump real far into the future and talk about the fact that we are the body of Christ. And the devil is under our feet. You guys, wave at me if you believe that. You believe that? Okay. So he started, God the Father started the operation right away. Right after Adam and Eve blew it. Right after Satan thought he had all authority. And he was given some authority because God gave all authority over to Adam. He says, this is your place. Rule it. Name the animals. You'll walk with the authority that I've given you. But he gave that authority over to Satan when he went outside of God's plans. And God couldn't take it back because God's plan was, I've given it to you. That's what God does when he, when, he gives you, when he gives you something. That's why you can be functioning outside of the will of God and still have your gifts and talents and abilities all still flowing because God gave them to you. They're gifts. In fact, the Bible says gifts and callings come without repentance. You, you can still be flowing in certain things and have lost your cutting edge if you will. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But that's what happened. And so starting from that time, everyone that God could get to agree with him, he'd say, there's one coming. Every prophet, there's one coming. One is coming. One is coming. You look through all of the prophetic chapters and books in the Bible, and you'll see them all talking about Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. There is one. There is one. The Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed. What is that? That is a prophetic word that the one coming to heal, deliver, set free, he's coming soon. He's on his way. It's interesting that, it's interesting that Jesus is riding in on a donkey and the religious rulers were huddled up in the temple. I can imagine them coming out of the temple saying, what's all of this commotion? We're trying to do business in the temple. What's all of this? Who's running this thing? And then somebody points over and says, yeah, that, that guy over there on the donkey. What was it? The one that they were doing business for in the temple, they were missing him because he was right outside. And that's really what happened when he was born. See, Christmas was, and the angel said it, joy to the, the world. The one God designed to set people free and to make it right is now on the planet. Prophetic, prophetic, prophetic. Prophecies, prophecy, prophecy. It's about to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then, boom, here he is. And the angels are like, do you know what's going on? Joy to the world. Let's celebrate this thing. The answer has arrived. 
That's what Christmas is about. And so when we celebrate it, I, look, I love lights. I love decorations. I, you know, I, I love them. I love it. My son, my son Andrew, is my, we have three sons, my middle son Andrew, I've given all of them a little piece of me. And they all have taken everything that I've deposited in them as a father and taken it so much further. I do artwork, and so my son, Jordan, he is now a landscape architect. You know, I, I sing, so my son, my oldest son, Andrew, I mean, Ryan, he's an amazing singer. I mean, an amazing worship leader. My son, Andrew, I showed Andrew I play by ear, and so I, I, I play the piano by ear. And so I showed Andrew as much as I could, as much as I could. Andrew plays by ear. And then Andrew ended up going to this jazz teacher and right out of high school and, and just took. I mean, I just sit next to him. And he says, Dad, come sit next to me. And we play the piano together, you know, heart and soul. And we jazz it up and have a great time, you know. And he's got all these runs. You know, I'm right there in the pocket, you know. Doom, 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 doom. But Andrew... Andrew celebrates Christmas all year long. I mean, he's singing and playing Christmas music in, in February, in June, in July. And everybody around is like, come on, it's not Christmas time. What are you doing? He's, no, no, he's just getting it in. It ought to be like that for us. Jesus is the reason for the season that is all year long. Why? Because we're not celebrating a birthday. We're celebrating the fact that the answer came to the planet. And I'm getting just as excited in December as I will be in April when we're celebrating the cross. And then we're not staying at the cross. We're, we're going to the tomb. And we're not staying at the tomb. We're now going on the hill because now he is ascending. But we're not staying on the hill. We're going to the upper room because he says, I'm gonna send my spirit. So just like Julie was saying earlier, all of these areas, we're ongoing. It's an ongoing season of awareness that God came to make things right by Jesus Christ. Paul called it the operation of God. Man, he fixed it. He fixed it. I was lost without him. I was doomed to spend all of eternity away from God. That's why I love evangelism. That's why I love telling people about Jesus because I don't want my family there. I don't want my neighbors there. 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. I'm praying for my neighbors. Because I don't want them I don't want them away from God here and for all eternity. And I mention here because, you know, we're, 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 we're not born again to try and get to a place. 
He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And so we get to celebrate and live out and walk out God's plan for our lives now. Is heaven? Yes. But heaven's going to happen. He needs us here now. And so God expanded his family, and he was always doing that. He's always doing that, even before the New Testament came about. I mean, when the, when the spies were trying to get in, Rahab, a prostitute, was invited in. See, God's not trying to keep people out. He's trying to get them in, even if they don't look like they're God's people. And I have to tell you that. Because as we begin to get more and more in tune to what God is doing right now, now you're going to start to see some people walk in this door that don't look like they're Christian. And those are the ones that we want, right? Look, God's got the church. He loves the world. Did you get that? He's got us. He wants those that are outside. That's why Jesus said the harvest is white. He says, up until, up until John, it was the prophets, the apostles and the prophets, it was the prophets, man. So after John, now the kingdom is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way in to the kingdom. Why? Because they see this new and living way. The love of God, the light of God, that's why the thousands followed him. That's why they gathered around him, because they knew he was from God. That's why Nicodemus, this religious ruler, you know, snuck away and said, hey, something's going on with Something's going on with Joe, because nobody can do this stuff unless God is with him. And even for him, Jesus said, hey, you must be born again. He's like, hey, what do you mean? Enter back into my mother's womb. I'm old. How do I do this? He says, no. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. I'm talking about being born again of the spirit of God. So a couple weeks ago when I was here and I was praying, I was praying over little Zoe. The life of God is what we get. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, the mass of the Messiah coming, because it's not coming just so that we can, we can, uh, uh, we can have these tablets that represent God, where he's, he's, he's on, a, it's on a tablet, his laws. He says, no, I'm going to take my laws and I'm going to put them in their heart. That's so when we get born again. We get Zoe, the life of God. And so God's trying to expand his family. Expand. He's always expanding his family. The woman at the well. She didn't get left out. Not only didn't she get left out, but she was so impressed and changed by him, she went and got the whole city. Could a woman at the well be received in here? Hmm. Or Zacchaeus? Tax collector, guy, hang up in the tree, rob people, take advantage of people. Yet Jesus says, I want to have dinner with you. This guy was so welcomed just by that statement. He comes down the tree. He calls Jesus Lord before he hits, his feet hit the ground. And then he says, 
everything that I've done wrong, all that I've stolen, I'm giving all of that plus more back. God is, God is trying to get people in the kingdom. Even your crazy uncle and that wayward nephew, he's trying to get everybody into the kingdom. It's expansion. And he's preparing us for kingdom expansion. We'll unpack it a little bit on Wednesday night because I know I can't get through everything tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the shift from what we've seen God do through Jesus and then God do through the disciples and the apostles. How many of you know the story of, of Paul and Silas? How many of you have heard those names? Raise your hand high if you have. Good, okay, I'm talking to a good crew. Paul and Silas, in prison for the testimony of Jesus. And here they are in the middle of it, Pastor Paul was mentioning it earlier, even in difficult situations, they're singing. They're singing, they're praying, they're praising, they're worshiping in a prison. That's why when I come into an environment like this, man, you can't shut me up. You can't shut me up. You can't keep my emotions and my imagination and my mood and my energy from giving God glory and praise because I've seen people in prison worship him. It's huge. So what happened? There was a response from heaven. And there was a shaking. So much so that the gates were opened automatically. And the chains and the shackles that were binding them were broken off. Now, here's expansion. It's not just Paul and Silas enjoying relationship with God, even supernatural power with God, so that their chains are broken. It's not just that. God says, I'm still expanding. So here's the jailer who is watching them, and now he is fearing for their lives because his life, because the doors are open. And his superiors are going to wonder, thank you, friend. His superiors are going to wonder what happened to the guys. He's ready to take his own life. And they said, hey, we're going to give you words whereby you and your family can be saved. That's expansion. It's expansion. God wants to expand you beyond your relationship with him. And so the title of the teaching now is we transition from the garden, from all of the prophets, from Jesus being born on Christmas, from the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, where the spirit of the Lord came and set it up so that at any time, any place, anywhere, people can get born again right now, right now, today. People can get born again in Botswana, in Australia, in China, in Kansas. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is present. 
And he has entered this atmospheric envelope bringing heaven. But it doesn't stop with those of us who have received him, who believe him. The beautiful answer of Jesus is available for the world. I mean, I'm, I'm nine, I'm nine, ten years old, and I'm laying in the living room, and I'm hearing my mom play this Andre Crouch song on the record player. Sorry if y'all know what a record player is if you're young. There's Andre and his, the album was called Andre Crouch and His Disciples. That was the group. And he had this song called Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Still gets me. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. And he wants that answer to go out beyond those of us who have received him. But we've got to be prepared for this kind of thing. You got to be prepared for expansion. Because sometimes it's, you know, God bless me, bless my wife, bless my son, bless his wife, us four, and no more. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, society says, uh, get all you can, and then can all you get, and then sit on the can, right? You know, it's like, that's our mindset. God is different. He's expanding his family. He wants everyone. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. That's why it says he's long-suffering. He's hanging on. I pray that you have a passion and a compassion like the Father. And think about your neighbors. Or think about your, think about your family members. Or think about the person who is uh, running the checkout at the supermarket. Or the person who's pumping your gas. Or the person that you meet in the elevator. God loves everybody. And so he wants to strengthen us for expansion. Expansion. And so we're going to read some scripture today out of, for the time that we have left, we're going to read some scripture today out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. I want you guys to just find that in your Bible. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we are, we, we are such beyond, you know, sort of yesteryear when it comes to technology. I mean, we, we, we're so, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. When I was little, I remember, you know, when the, the, in our youth group, the church that I grew up in, the pastor on a Sunday evening, we had a huge youth rally, and every kid got a Bible. I remember that Bible, man, the bonded leather. I take it to bed with me and just, just smell the leather. I was so happy with my Bible. 
And then we had these things called uh, sword drills. Anybody ever hear about a sword drill? A couple of you. So a sword drill is when you take your Bible and all of the, the kids in either vacation Bible school or Sunday school or whatever, it all line up and we're going to race to find the scripture. It's a sword drill. And I always made sure I didn't have a hardback Bible. I need something that could flow, that could flow. Hang on for a minute. St. John 7.14, is that Old Testament or New Testament? Or we'll Google it, and you can find it out. John 3.16, what does that, what does that say? Ephesians 6.10, what does that say? Romans 8.28, what does that say? 1 Peter 3. When it gets to the place like the psalmist wrote, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I'm aligned with heaven's perspective. King James Version says that I might not sin against you. But really, sin is just missing the mark. God's got a mark. He says, I want you to be aligned with where I am. So we get those sacred scriptures and we put it in. And so my prayer is that this 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, you read it. It's a simple story. In fact, if you read chapter 5 and chapter 7 and 8, you'll hear some stories that you heard preachers preach about, and you'll be like, I never knew that was in there. That's where it's at. Because sometimes we don't read our Bible. And reading the Bible isn't so we can go around and we can brag about, I know the Bible, or we can make people feel shame and regret when we find out that they're caught in some kind of a sin. It's not for that purpose. <clears throat> it's so that you can bring light. And God bless us to get to the place where we can live out the Bible and not just quote the Bible. Because people need that. Especially this generation, this young generation that, that's coming up. They want to see us live something. They don't want to be forced to go to church. You drag me to church. No, I've gotten to the place where my kids, they're, they're there before I am. Now why is that? Because when I leave the sacred desk, when I take off my church clothes, and I put on everyday clothes, they've seen dad live like a Christian, not like Pastor Terry. That's important for us. And we get to a place where we start living the Bible. Yeah. Even when there's a misunderstanding. Can we as parents go and apologize to our teenagers when we feel like we're going to lose some power? Can we say, you know what, I was wrong there. I shouldn't have said that. Or, you know what, I missed the target when I was talking to you about that. And not just <laughs> my bad. <laughs> But will you forgive me? 
oh, if I, if I say that to my kids, they're going to run all over me. No, 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 because that's a, that's a kingdom perspective. And when you walk in kingdom perspective, you get kingdom power. And so the Holy Spirit can now talk to your teenager or your 20-something-old or your 18-year-old or 10-year-old or 8-year-old and let them know that he's the one who gives dreams, revelations, interpretations. That's what Joseph said. That's from God. And so let's get to the place where we live scripture and not just talk scripture. And then we're going to see transformation, not just in the church. We're going to see transformation in the streets, in the homes, in our neighborhoods. And we need that. And if you're that person that has been quoting but not living, even my statements here aren't to bring you shame. It's just to bring a level of light. It's like, wow, you know what? That's God. That's right. How do I do it? So let's read this, and then we'll, again, whatever we don't get, we don't get through today, we'll, we'll unpack it on Wednesday. I really hope you guys come out on Wednesday. Don't come out for me. Please, please, please. I say it all the time. If you come for any part of me, then that's tragic. That's tragic. Because I am only six feet and whatever my private weight number is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, listen, that's all I got. But I know someone with everything who knows everything, has everything, can do anything. He's the one that we're expecting to come. So when you come on Wednesday night, come expecting the power of God to strengthen you, empower you, build you up, but then also equip you. We need that. We need that. This isn't meant for shame, so don't let the enemy whisper this in your ear. But we have to get to a place where we highlight more of being around each other than all the other attractions that come at us. And I will tell you, I love going to the movies. Every Monday is date day with Pam and I. And it must be working because we just celebrated 35 years. So that date date thing is real. Brothers, set time aside to be with your wife. Wives, set time aside to be with your husbands. Children, let your mom and dad do their thing. <laughs> but we love going to the movies. And unfortunately, they put me in there. They feed me. You know, my kids, and like, they're always like, get me in the movies. Okay, let's go to the movies. But unfortunately, they put me in there, and then they turn the lights off. They feed me, turn the lights off. Put me in a, a recliner now if you go to some of these places in Marlton and Morristown. And so I end up waking up you know, <laughs> a little bit later. It's like, what was that movie? So we end up seeing it again. <clears throat> um, but I, I'm not trying to talk you out of doing these things. I'm not. I'm trying to get you to highlight things that are so important. Keep first things first. Why? Because I am, and I asked you this in the beginning, I am a citizen of heaven first. First. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of America. Before I'm native of Philadelphia and my family from Birmingham, Alabama, I'm, 
I'm a citizen of heaven. Why? Because I got born again. And that trumps Republican, Democrat, Independent. It trumps African American or whatever other race is in here. If you're a citizen of heaven, that's primary. And from there, we live and move and have our being. Which means that you got to put high on your priority list how you feed your spirit and how you get around other believers. It's important. And I've got tons of friends who are sinners. But I do good to all of them, but especially those that are of the household of faith. So I've got friends, and we bust it up, and it's great. But, man, if I see Michael, it's like, yo, Mike. Why? That's my brother. If I see Bruni, Bruni. If I see Julie, oh, my gosh, Julie. Come here, give me a hug. I see Dino and the other Dino. <laughs> so we need to be around each other. So put it in your schedule. Put it in your schedule. I need to be around my brothers and sisters beyond Sunday. The Bible says that after the power of the Spirit of God came, it went from 120 in the upper room to 20, 24 hours later, 3,120. And then they met daily from house to house eating, enjoying time with each other, fellowshipping with each other. And we're not saying hang out here every day. But come on, let's add one more day in, right? Because you can't get enough from an hour and a half to two hours on a Sunday morning to keep you all of the other hours. And the enemy tries to isolate you and tear you down and beat you up and separate you and bring shame and regret and temptation and loneliness, and brokenness, and depression. Yes, the worst thing on the planet is a depressed Christian. Why? They've got access to heaven. But when you are alone, the enemy can take, take advantage of you. So we need to be around each other. So we press for that. The apostle said, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Again, that's not shame. In any way, shape, or form, things come up. Schedules happen. Sometimes there's school. Sometimes there's work. Sometimes there's an attack on your body. Get all of that. But all things being equal, put it in your schedule. Put it in your schedule. So we can be robust when we go to take Burlington. We can be robust when we go to take our families. We be robust when the invasion happens in our neighborhood. And there will be an invasion. Everybody say this after me. Say, there will be an invasion of the presence and power of God to heal, to deliver, and set people free. There will be an invasion on my street. Mm. On my street. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 
One day, a group of prophets came to Elijah and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River, where, we, where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Verse 3, please come with us. Talking to Elijah, someone suggested, I will, he said. Verse 4, so he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Verse 6, where did it fall? The man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Verse 7, grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. Please spend some time soaking in that. Oh, short story, seven verses. Powerful powerful because what it does is it prepares us for kingdom expansion the first thing they said to him was hey this place is too small see expansion was on his mind from the very beginning this place is too small and I say that for you individually I say that for you as a family I say that for you as a congregation your place is too small God wants to expand. If Jesus and your relationship with him is only the joy of you spending time with him, he's my friend. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Dear Jesus, I love you. You know, thank you for being with me. And whatever your love song, your favorite song is to God, that's all between you and God. It's too small. There is more. And if it's just for your family, God's blessing, God's healing, God's delivering, you know. You pray for my sons, now they have wives. Pray for my son, now he's healed. Pray for education, now they have degrees. Pray for a new house, and they get a big house, and they need another car. God gave us another car, pray for a bigger house. God gave us a bigger house, wanted promotion. God gave us promotion, healing, trying to jump on my body. God heals me. Oh, it's so wonderful being with God. All of this in heaven too, as the New Orleans saints say, who's got it better than us? It's got to go beyond that, though. Because what about the people who live around you? What about the members of your family who don't know Jesus? This place is too small. What about the neighborhood you live in? Or those of you who are leading in certain spheres, government, business, education, health care, sports and entertainment, media. Uh, there's so much that God has given us access into, but sometimes we can just say, hey, I got a promotion. Hey, I'm a supervisor now. Hey, I'm a VP now. Hey, I got a bonus. Guess how much my new bonus was? This place is too small. It's too small. So they said that to Elijah. This place is too small. Can we go and expand? He says, yes. He said, will you go with us? What's that talking about? That's saying, hey, we're going to need your power. We're going to need heaven. 
You need heaven. So when you start to expand, make sure you got somebody bigger than you around you as you begin to think about what's this going to look like when God invades my family, my neighborhood, my community, my business. Can't just be you. Look what God's doing through me. No. Look what God's doing through us. Find another Christian, somebody who can intercede with you, somebody who can pray with you. Wave at me if this is making sense. Is this making sense? He says, this place is too small. He says, will you go with this? He says, yeah, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. The guy goes, one of the guy goes, one of the guys, while they're cutting and spreading everything out, clearing everything out. And there's a message in that. Because that talks about all of the foliage, everything that's all around you that needs to be cut down, God's going to use you to be a part of it. So the key to this teaching is, number one, expansion. Number two, the cutting edge. Are you still sharp? Is it sharp? Why did the axe head fall off? You know, you got an axe, you got the arm, and then you got the axe head. How come the axe didn't just slice through and cut? Why did the axe head fall off? Because it was dull. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you lost your cutting edge? Have you lost your cutting edge? That's not shame. It's just to say, I need to be tender before the Lord. My heart needs to be tender before the Lord. When was I on fire for the Lord? What was it like when I first gave my life to Jesus? What was it like? That same guy, Andre Crouch, wrote a song called Take Me Back. Take me back to the place where I first believed you, where I first received you. Take me back where my, where my heart was tender again, where love was strong and high. I didn't even want to step on a bug when I became a Christian, let alone curse somebody out. let alone walk around the house giving my spouse or my children or my parents the silent treatment. When I first became a Christian, I wasn't moody. But somehow, I've lost my cutting edge. My cutting edge. Where did I lose it? And in my process of being tender before the Lord, was I looking around trying to imitate somebody else? It was real. It was real because there were things that got worked out in the prayer meeting. And so you go into prayer meeting. You go into that time of prayer. Everything's vulnerable. Everything's open. He, there was a time where it said that Jesus didn't just look at them. It says he looked into them so he could see in. He knew their thoughts. He knows our thoughts. One writer, he says, search me, O God. <laughs> try my thoughts, try me, try my ways. If there are any, if there be in me any wicked way, then purge me, cleanse me, and lead me in your path everlasting. Oh, it's so beautiful. What is this? Preparation for kingdom advancement. Kingdom expansion. It's got to deal with me. I, gotta, I can't just say I'm a Christian, come to my church. I can't just say to my family members, oh, Jesus loves you. Won't you be a Christian like me? I need a cutting edge. I got to be sharp. 
I'm not talking about witty and knowing scriptures. I'm talking about the tenderness of my heart, moving people to the place where they say, I, I want what you have. I'll take one of those. Bartimaeus had an experience. The Apostle Paul had an experience. Everywhere Apostle Paul went, everywhere he went, he says, I was on the road to Damascus, and the light shone from heaven, knocked me off, and I said, Lord, what will you have me to do? I had an experience. Blind Bartimaeus says, I don't know all the details of what happened. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. That's my cutting edge. And we forget sometimes where things happen. Maybe it was a temptation. And so what happened? He says, he says, what happened to it? He says, it was borrowed. I was pretending to be like Pastor Paul. I was pretending to be like the man on TBN. I was pretending to be like that sister that has a Christian podcast. I was pretending to be like that person who says all the right things. I was pretending to sing like that person who wrote a song the life-changing power of God because of their experience. But when I heard the song, it was snappy, sounded good. Everybody loved it, loved it when I sang it, but I didn't have my own experience. I didn't have a cutting edge because the ax head I had was borrowed. Somebody else's. But even with that, Elijah said, show me where it is. Because as he was cutting, trying to cut, axe head falls off the arm, flows into the water, flies into the water. Elijah said, show me the spot where it was. Oh, man. Reminds me of Peter. Peter's at the fire with Jesus, and man, (laughs) he denies him three times. A few hours earlier, Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter. Peter's like, no, man. Come on, you, who you think you're talking to? Some of these young guys? Come on, it's me, Jesus. So, all right. All right. That song that's going to bring you to yourself, it's going to be a rooster. First verse, <laughs> second verse, course. And sure enough, at the fire, Peter lost his cutting edge. And Jesus, the great prophet, not Elisha, Jesus, the great prophet, not many days after he was raised from the dead, he sees Peter again at a fire. Peter denied him three times. (laughs) At the fire, the next fire, same spot around a fire. Jesus said, I'm going to use it, but I'm going to use it for glory and deliverance this time. So three times he had him say, Lord, I love you. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, how many times are you going to ask me this? You know I love you. He says, that's the deliverance I wanted. Three times you cursed me. Third times you cursed and you swore, denied me. But this time, the same spot where you lost it, redemption takes place. Elijah says to the guy, where did you lose your cutting edge? Where did you lose the ax head? He says, it's right there. You know what Elijah does prophetically? He brings a cross into it. He takes a piece of wood and he throws it right to the spot. That sounds like the cross. The cross accomplished everything. You don't shame people into getting back with God. 
And I'm not going to shame you into finding your cutting edge again. I just want to remind you of the love of the Father, that he cares about you and he has not changed his mind. And the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead will stir you up fresh this morning. He wants you to have your cutting edge again because he wants to partner with you for kingdom expansion. And then he performs a miracle. Miracle? Yeah. Come on, y'all. Tell me you saw it was a miracle. He throws the stick into the spot where the axe head fell, and all of a sudden, iron floats. Iron can't float. Iron floats. The enemy will make you think that you're left for dead, make you think that what you said and what you did was so far off you can never recover. God spoke prophetically over you years ago, but something happened. Maybe it was a temptation. Maybe you blew it. Maybe you actually sinned. Maybe you did the kind of thing that, that, uh, that Peter did. Maybe you did the kind of thing that Adam did. And then when it happens, what do you do? You respond like Adam and you try and fend for yourself. Try and get some leaves to cover you because you're not a son anymore. But the miracle in the kingdom with the blood is that he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'll never cast you out. Cutting edge now. Cutting edge. So I want to push you. Let him do a miracle in you. But in order for that to happen, in order for that to happen, you've got to do what that young prophet did. When the iron floated, verse 7, he says, now grab it. Grab it. Grab it. Don't be in here this morning and say, oh, that was a nice message PT taught. Never heard that story about the floating axe head. That's a pretty cool thing. No, don't miss it. God wants to do something in your family, and he wants to use you. He wants to partner with you. Pastor, I can't preach like you. I can't. I don't have that anointing that Pastor Paul, Pastor Kathy has. I, I can't do that thing. I can't. I can't. I, what? Oh, you are so wired for what he wants you to do. You ain't got to be like me. You don't even have to be like the person next to you. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made to serve at the pleasure of his will. Just don't miss the opportunity to. Get your cutting edge back. Cutting edge doesn't mean a loud voice. Cutting edge doesn't mean I'm walking around and I'm using all of my gifts. I'm prophesying over you and I'm preaching and I'm saying, that ain't the cutting edge. Cutting edge is the tenderness of the heart. I want you right now just to bow your heads where you are. Hey, you know that, uh, you know, uh, I surrender all. Okay, let's do that. Hmm. I surrender all. Hmm. Lord, 
exalted. To him my free I will ever love and trust and trust in his presence. His presence. 